0: Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey
1: everyone, this is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you and the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney.
0: And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, pop culture enthusiast. Well, Paul, this was a a big week for movies or box office movies, another Marvel film out. I went to go see it, Ant-Man 2, Quantum Mania. Ant-Man 3. Oh shoot! Shoot! Ant Man three. Sorry, I forgot the second one existed because uh, it was okay. Let's just say those words. I liked it. I liked Ant Man and the Wasp. I, I did prefer Ant Man one to Ant Man two. In this case, Ant Man three. Man, I, I don't know what to say. Like I'm i Mar- I'm a Marvel fan. Phase five is off to a rocky start. I'll just say that it was okay. It was okay. Jonathan Majors was absolutely incredible.
1: If the movie is really just there to set up the villain for Secret Wars and the Avengers Five and Six, then I guess you could say it's a success. It did make 120 million over its um, four-day holiday weekend, but at the same time, it is a little concerning that it hasn't, you know, won over audiences. It's the second lowest. Rotten Tomatoes score uh, right above Eternals. The only Eternals, two... yeah. Yeah, the only two of the 31 movies in the MCU to be rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. And Phase 4 wasn't the strongest phase, so people are wondering, like, you know, is... Are we at a... Yeah. Tri- phase 4 was great. Yeah, Phase 4 was, was was soft, and there was a lot of stuff in Phase 4. It was like, you know, 18 projects, yes. so... Yes. You know, I was in L.A. last week, and I was catching up with some colleagues and people who are Marvel fans, clearly, but... You know, a little bit older, and they were wondering, you know, has the juice been squeezed? You know, can can Marvel keep going at the pace that they were at from 2012 to 2015, when when you had the Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron, which was you know mediocre, okay, but yeah,
0: but like Infinity War and Endgame were incredible. But
1: not every movie's a hit, right? Like Kevin Feige's track record is amazing.
0: Yeah, but I, I think lately it's just been, I've noticed this, I had to look internally. I, I went with my very good friend who's a diehard DC fan, and he was like, man, that was not good. And I was like, yeah, I got to say, like, the last few movies I've been to, they've been like, you know, Thor, Love and Thunder, I probably won't watch it again. Black Panther 3 was decent, you know, I, I think. 2. Uh, pff, my gosh, I don't know where this is. How many movies there are? Sorry, Black Panther Two. No, I mean, th- I mean, you're not even doing this ironically. It is kind of like, how do you keep track? Uh, Black Panther Two. You know, uh, it set things up. I really liked, obviously, the Chaswick stuff. The there's a lot of good stuff in that, um, but. They just I don't know. They're like trying to put too much into these things to to do all their other releases on Disney Plus, most of which are not that great. I mean, Loki was great. What if is great? I think that Bob Iger said that the only things that have been greenlit for 2023 now are Loki and what if for Disney. I think he said that he's pulling back a bit. I think he recognizes that the quality maybe hasn't been as great and maybe people are a little overloaded with Marvel stuff. I'd say that the star Wars stuff seems to be going pretty well for them though. Well,
1: they haven't really been doing films as much in star Wars as they've been really more focused on the Disney plus shows. But yeah, I mean, that is the million dollar question. And listen, I was Marvel. I guess I can't, I can say I was the tail end of old school Marvel because I did get there at the start of the MCU pre-Disney acquisition, and we were doing, I say we, I mean, Marvel was doing one, maybe two films a year, no television, and it was really tight, like, you know, focus on, make sure, like, every minute of screen time was maximized, and yeah, you have hits and misses along the way. That is the movie business, and I don't think people loved Iron Man 2, but... When Disney bought Marvel, it almost immediately became, well, we want to make, instead of doing one movie every two years, we're going to do two movies a year. And the plan is to do three movies a year. That was post-acquisition. That was even before Disney Plus was a thing. Then you add Disney Plus, and I don't know how many streaming shows there were in phase four on Disney Plus, maybe like 10? I I don't even know. But obviously, there's got to be some dilution there when you have, obviously, the, the Marvel team has grown but you're making so much more content. It can't all be as good just because of the sheer volume. But at the same time, you know, they're stewards of the brand, right? Like Kevin Feige, Bob Iger, the Marvel Brain Trust. I get you want to maximize revenue every quarter, and that's sort of what the street has beat into us. But at the same time, you don't want to kill the golden goose and alienate fans with mediocre product and then not be able to just release a movie and make $800 every time you want.
0: I think that's dead on. Like I've been waiting for Jonathan Majors, King, the conqueror. I've been waiting to see that character on the screen and it was done in an Ant-Man movie. And I think the general, like it wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't like a terrible movie. It was like a decent movie, but it's like you have this amazing character in an Ant-Man film. You know, I don't, I don't know if you needed to do that, but and, and I think most people, I think the um, the critics, yes, 50%. The audience score wasn't that much higher. And I think on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is usually what I look at. And um, it was forgettable, uh, except for Jonathan Majors. I think um, the rest of it was like, meh. You know, uh, again, there's still other movies I do want to see. But I think what this does is what if it's the DCU's time now with James Gunn coming in hot and maybe it's it's just time for like a new group to shine, maybe.
1: but I do think I do think if they pair it back and they're more selective about the projects they make and they're not making, you know, something every month, yeah, yeah, I think that'll help. And I don't know whose decision, obviously that's probably Disney's decision because you know, they have the IP. They want to maximize revenue. They want to grow subscriptions on Disney Plus. They're like, well, Marvel's one of our Ace brands. So let's keep going to that well. And it's funny because the the leadership of Marvel that I came up under when I was working there was so focused on cost, like laser focused on keeping costs low. Then they sort of lose sight of that. Disney takes over. They take more control over the process. And now Bob Iger in 2023 is saying, hey, we got to be focused on cost, which is like not a new concept, maybe something that was ignored when the movies were making, you know, $2.7 billion. Like if every movie is Endgame, then I guess you can spend whatever you- want, right? But if it's not, then you have to really be careful.
0: Yeah. I mean, look at the end of the day, I want to see secret wars and I want to see all the movies with, you know, the big villain and I'll just keep consuming till we get there. I might be annoyed along the way, but I'm going to keep consuming. So you wouldn't skip any installments in the MCU? Not, not movies, not movies. Okay. I have never skipped a movie. Even when Eternals got like, you know, 48% of Rotten Tomatoes, I just want alone. It was an empty theater. I was still entertained. I'll still go. I'll skip the um. I'll skip the Disney Plus stuff. Uh, and that's actually not true because I'll end up right. But that's the thing. But later. Kang's debut was in Loki. It was, and Loki was a great show. And What If was also a great show. And I think when I got to like a few of these others, I was like, yeah, uh, this is just getting too much. Like for me to see what happens. I wish the main characters would just be connected in the films. But I think Loki is a good proof of that. Everyone was introduced to Kang and Jonathan Majors in Loki, and Loki was such a big hit that everyone thought that everything after that would be great. And I think it's just been a bunch of misses since then. But to your point, if they pull back on production and just focus on like, hey, let's just make these movies fantastic, you know, that could be great for them.
1: Another angle, which, you know, we, we always wondered when we were there, and I think it's still an open question. Marvel, no question, they do a great job with casting and identifying up-and-coming talent and finding new stars. But, you know, one of the risks that we all were concerned about is, like, okay, when when Downey yeah. is no longer in the universe, when we have to move on to the sort of next phase of stars or, you know, like— Basically, that's the next phase, whether they're stars or not. you I mean, up and coming or they have the potential to be. It's like a chicken and egg thing. I know Downey's first mega hit was as Iron Man, although he had had critical success before that. He wasn't like bona fide box office star until then. And it was kind of like a perfect combination Downey and Marvel, where the sum was greater than their individual parts. But at the same time, like, have they been able to replicate that success without him, without the sort of headline stars from phase one and two? It's questionable.
0: I, I would I would say it's a very good point, and especially we have Guardians of the Galaxy three coming, and they're they're it seems like they're retiring those characters. I don't know. I guess since Tom Holland, who's been a new character that's introduced, that we're all like, oh my god, this character is amazing. You know, Black Panther and Spider Man were introduced into the MCU. That to me feels like the last of it. I would say Namor is the only one since then that like everyone's like oh this is exciting but as a villain or anti-hero but like yeah i i guess like um, that's a good point who is the next big star that marvel creates uh it's unclear i don't think there are any i don't know i mean could be majors um majors sorry but majors I know- for sure majors for sure
1: right but he's a villain and so
0: who's the hero i don't know i mean captain marvel wasn't phenomenal no and but generally public doesn't like Captain Marvel. I don't know why that's the case. It seems that they just didn't like the movie, you know, because what's her name? Bree Bree Larson, I think, has just been generally not the most favorite um person in the Marvel universe, i.e., popularity wise. So we'll see. I don't know. It's a tough one. It's really tough to like, hey, who's the next big star gonna be? It's a hard bet. And
1: it's also tough, it's tough to be the movie that comes in between you know, Avengers 5 and 6, or Game and Avengers 5. Like, it's just, to some extent, there are the diehard loyal fans like you, Mesh, who are going to see there and show up, you know, every time with their popcorn. But then there's other people that are just like, uh, you know, I'll wait till the next Avengers, right? Because it's yeah, like, yeah, oh, you know, exactly, mediocre exactly. reviews or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, hard to follow what's going on in all of these, unless you're super dialed in. And the interconnected nature of it. I agree with you. I think if it were just sort of like a theatrical film universe and maybe TV is an offshoot, if you really want to dive into it and the stories that you can tell in longer form because you have more hours, I get it. But um, to say, well, you wouldn't understand this movie unless you watch six Disney Plus series in between, like that's that's hard to sell, I think.
0: Yeah. And like to conclude, I do think, as I said before, I've never been more excited about the DCU and I wasn't, you know, besides Batman, like I never really cared about the DCU. I I wasn't, um, you know, those movies weren't great. And now I'm more excited about those movies than some of the Marvel movies. Uh, And I think it's it's really like their time to shine, to do some serious damage at the box office and, you know, with their HBO Max originals. So it's going to be an interesting you know, shifting of the guard, maybe. Who knows? It's a good thing. Competition's a yeah, good thing. Yeah,
1: and I, I've, I've always been of the view that they're really more aligned than they are competitors. I think what's good for Marvel is generally good for DC, but you're right. I mean, it would be good for DC to sort of, you know, to, for it to be more of a rivalry I, I, than it's been sort of one-sided uh, absent the Chris Nolan movies.
0: Yeah, and I think that benefits us as viewers, so. yeah. But yeah, let, let's uh let's take a break and then let's come back and we'll talk about where streaming is in comparison to linear TV this year.
1: So, Mesh, jumping back in. The whole debate, you know, we talk about streaming seemingly every other week on this show because it's such a big part of how people are consuming content and there's a company insider intelligence it's kind of it's a research firm and they released an article some of their methodologies i think are a little suspect but they basically the thesis is 2023 is the year that digital television consumption exceeds traditional linear television consumption that's the headline what they're saying is that linear television will be watched an average of 2 hours and 55 minutes a day by adults in the US And digital television will be watched an average of three hours and 11 minutes per day. The thing, and I'll just get this right out of the way. One of the things about their methodology is that they're saying they're including all digital and including linear digital, something like Hulu Live or YouTube TV in the digital bucket, even though it is technically linear. And they're also including social media like TikTok in right. the digital bucket, even though it arguably is not television, although that, that line is blurring. But the main headline is that Netflix, YouTube, Amazon, TikTok, they're all growing, um, especially with younger audiences. And linear television as we know it, the people uh, it's been a trend that's been going on since the mid-2010s. People are cutting the cord. People are, um, cable's expensive. Although, as you know, we've talked about adding, if you get all the streaming services, it's probably just as much or if not more. Now, yeah. but it's just continuing a trend, right? That's been going on since Netflix started.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll say that the social like YouTube and TikTok to me feel like they were not replace TV um, or di- even digital TV. It, it It is competitive. It's like our viewer, like our eyes on something like I'll watch YouTube instead of potentially like putting the news on or something like that, or I'll go on TikTok. And I do think it's interesting because that this data includes It doesn't include teenagers from what I understand. It only includes adults. Right. Yeah, it's Um, adults. It's adults. And so if you put teenagers in there, I wonder how those numbers would shift. But then also, like, it's a generational change thing. You know, I mean, we came from a generation where the TV would be on. Like, it wasn't so long ago that I had a cable box and just kept the TV running in the background. And now I don't. And, And so I think as we get closer to a younger generation of adults, we see those numbers changing because a lot of people have cut the cord and they just don't have TV like on all the time, because they are on TikTok, they are on YouTube. Yeah, my TikTok consumption is severely unhealthy. Uh, I need to like block it. On is it phone. over an hour a day? Uh, I'm, I'm shaved to. I've, it's at least it's an hour a day. It's an hour a day. An hour a like day. If, okay, if yeah. I'm on the subway, like I'll put on TikTok. If I'm just like kind of sitting around at night, I'm watching TikTok, and like that, the time goes by. So fast, like it is so addictive um, that I actually did put a blocker on my phone uh, just to keep me away from it. But you know, TikTok and like, and like YouTube as well, right? Because like the YouTube hours are probably I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if people are sitting there watching you know one to two hours. If you're watching like Joe Rogan on YouTube, that's like two and a half hours of your 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 day, right? Or if you're watching like if someone's watching like someone play a video game gameplay, those numbers are going to go up.
1: That was the first thing that jumped out at me. In addition to the methodologies, like,
0: and this is, maybe this is
1: just a position, you know, my, my role or whatever, who has six hours a day to watch yeah. television, like yeah. whether it's streaming or, or linear, or let's say it's even three hours a day, right? Like, I don't know how exactly they did the math, but they're they're saying the average, if the average person is watching three hours and 11 minutes of streaming and two hours and 55 minutes of, of, of linear then presumably the average person is watching six hours of television in the aggregate. I don't know how they, they didn't really cite their sources on that, but I don't know who can watch six hours of television a day because that's the equivalent of, it's basically a job at that point. But they did break it down a little bit more, and they said YouTube is 33 minutes a day, Netflix is 33 minutes a day, Hulu is 24, Amazon Prime Video is 11, Disney Plus is 8. TikTok is 17 minutes a day and the larger social media category is 45 minutes a day. So I know for me, I, I'm i on the, in the US adult spectrum, I'm probably on the younger side, but in the overall, like if you talk to a teenager or someone, you know, early teens, they are going to think I'm an old person. Yeah. Because I watch television, they watch everything on their tablets or their computers or their phones. But- I could sit in like it's an NFL or NBA playoffs or something or even like a hockey game or something. I could watch several hours. Yeah, I'd be on my phone. Also, right. So maybe I'm watching something or I have two screens on or whatever. But typical day to day, I just I don't see how like in a weekday I could find four hours to watch.
0: That that's why it's like I mean the four hours thing is is tough. I mean I guess like would it count if someone has CNBC on in the background? It would. Right. That like would they, count. Yeah, I think. I mean, they
1: didn't they weren't clear about their methodology. But let's say you were in the office and you had the news yeah, on or something news on, like on that in that the background. Count. Yeah.
0: Which I think is pretty yeah. common. And like a, depending on which like uh, industry that you're in. But, you'll, you know, if you're in the finance or investment world, at least with coming to public equities like Bloomberg or, media. or CNBC. Or yeah. Something's going to be on in the background. You know, the TikTok thing is interesting because it's like if you're in between, you just pull your phone out and you're like looking at a few talks and then you move on with your life versus I, you know, if I had five minutes, I'm not going to go sit, turn on my TV, look for something to watch, watch for five minutes and then bounce. I'm going to just open up my phone and watch like, you know, two or three videos and then I close my phone and go on to the next thing. Yeah. Is TikTok
1: bad. is, is <laughs> what Quibi was trying to be, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, it. In, in every sense of the word, except it's just way more addictive. Uh, and, you know, there, there is its own challenges. This same article, Insider Intelligence, although I, I feel like this is not news, they predict that TikTok will surpass Facebook as the dominant viewing of social media by next year. I think it's already past Facebook. I mean, based on like anecdotally people I I talked to. And
0: yeah, I think it's again, I think it's a generational thing. Like I think there's just a lot of older people that are still on Facebook and Instagram counts with Facebook, right? So you got to imagine people are still on reels and using Instagram, but TikTok is just such a far superior product, you know, and you saw that Facebook just didn't, I mean, they're trying to figure out ways to make money. They just announced that you can be verified on Facebook for like 11 or $13 a month which God knows what that gets you. But to your point, I agree. Like, I never open the Facebook app. I open the Instagram app, but I don't open the Facebook app at all.
1: Yeah, Facebook, I think for groups and maybe, you know, to Facebook Messenger. But again, it's like, it's wound up in WhatsApp and Instagram.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, they also, it, I I was like, I started to get, uh, I've always kind of been in and out of like kettlebell routines at the gym. And I looked up a couple on TikTok and now it's not, they're just feeding me kettlebell workouts. And I'm, I just i am like, okay, they really just know what I want to see right now. And then, you know, it, it is kind of amazing how they're able to just like, hey, this learn what you want and then feed you more and feed you more. I mean, they look at your search and they'll send me recipes on whatever. I mean, I use like TikTok to like research stuff too. Like when it comes to food and a workout, I'll always use TikTok over anything else.
1: It's a part of the zeitgeist for sure. And I don't know if it's television, but even we talked about this, right? Like all the sports and news are two of the things that keep linear television afloat because they're the things that people tend to watch in real time, right? Live and sports is moving digital. YouTube TV and YouTube are getting Sunday ticket. Amazon has Thursday night football. MLB has this big deal with Apple and they may take all their games digital. In the near future, I mean, there's there's speculation about that. So as it's a generational thing, I mean, I think we'll be talking about this in five, ten years, and linear will be a, it could be a small minority at that point, or maybe it makes a comeback. I, I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, like one of the interesting things from the weekend, I didn't realize it was the NBA dunk contest, uh, the slam dunk contest over the weekend. Mac McClung. Yeah, and I only knew because I was on TikTok, and I'm like, this guy it was it was a pretty sick dunk and then it clearly i start watching all the videos and then it just starts showing me all the historic dunks from all the previous slam dunk contests this all happened within 24 hours so now my feed is just filled with dunks and I i find that pretty amazing like they're like yeah this guy just wants to watch more people dunk which is true i do want to watch more people dunk and congrats to Mac McClung, because that was a sick dunk. Yeah,
1: and he's only been in the NBA for like five days, but good for him. I mean, amazing yeah. to be 6'2", six six two two. a 540, jumping over yeah. two people. I mean, it's just yeah. absurd. It was good for him. It was great. Good for him. And you saw the memes with the uh, white men can jump. That movie yeah. was classic. Woody yeah. Harrelson,
0: Wesley Snipes movie. I mean, that guy's Re- a six, Rewriting a six, history. A 6'2", white guy doing that type of dunk is... He has
1: a 44-inch vertical. It's insane. I mean,
0: it's just insane.
1: 44 inches.
0: It's insane. That's um. <laughs> good for him.
1: Uh, so let's take a quick break and uh, dive. I mean, we can talk more about streaming and, and sort of how this, how it impacts talent and actor, writer, director deals in another episode. But I think it's no, it's a secret to knowing that digital yep. distribution and digital consumption is growing and traditional linear methods are, are shrinking and uh, insider intelligence is just confirming that. But let's take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to do a, a little deeper dive into a South Asian Indian filmmaker who is getting a lot of buzz, nominated for an Oscar, Shunak Sen. We'll talk about him after the break. So, Mesh, uh, I know we talked about Triple R, and it was a, a couple episodes ago last year, we did talk about the impact of South Asian culture in Indian content that's being made yep. for the U.S. and U.S. content that's being made abroad and sort of how it's all, it's all factoring into the P&Ls of these studios and cricket rights are incredibly valuable now. And so, you know, I'm South Asian, you're South Asian. We are part of the community, although we were, you know, we spent a lot of formative years in the U.S. and I was born here. I do want to celebrate the ascension of South Asian talent in media and entertainment, but it's not necessarily um, an easy path, right? Even even now, it's a it's a very competitive field. One and a half um, billion people, and I was in this South Asian media group in New York, and someone mentioned that they were cast in a show as as an actor, and he's like, "But guess what? I'm not a scientist." I'm not a software engineer. Yeah. I'm like an actual non, you know, I'm like an actual person that doesn't, I'm not typecast. And that was like, if everyone's started applauding, cause I can he actually had made it. That's funny. And so Shunak Sen is this mid thirties director from New Delhi in India. And he made this film, All That Breathes, which is uh, nominated for best documentary in the Oscars. It was nominated for the best documentary at BAFTA. It just lost to Navalny um, nice. over the weekend. And he did a Q&A in L.A. Jessica and I went because um, Jessica's a member of the film Independent. So they were doing a screening with the Q&A after. And we talked to him about the movie. We watched it. It's on HBO Max. If you get a chance, all that breathes. It's, a, it's 99 on Rotten Tomatoes and it's won a ton of awards. That's and it amazing. May, it may win the Oscar. And it's a completely different. If you're talking about Triple R is like a great, fun, epic movie that's Indian culture. I mean, this is you would almost think I couldn't be more different. It's great, right. but and it has like no overlap to Triple R at all. I mean, it's much more serious. It's beautiful, but it's... I don't know how much I spent on it, Um, but it took him three years. It's a documentary, but it's almost like a hybrid of a documentary and a narrative work because yeah. although it's not necessarily scripted and the brothers that are in it, the focus of the story, they're not actors, but it's not a traditional documentary in the sense where people are sort of like doing interviews and there's archival footage and this and that. I mean, it is- And they're like following them around? Yeah, so I'll give you the premise. So basically, air quality in India has gotten a lot worse, right? Through With the advent of what's happened in the US, right? The Industrial Revolution has happened in India and China on a much more condensed timeline, right? So in the 70s, it was relatively agrarian. People didn't have cars. And then, you know, the advent of- the industrialization of India, people are getting cars, they burn a lot of coal. So Delhi, Mumbai, Calcutta, they have really bad air quality. There's a lot of pollution. And then Delhi, because of the geographic formations of the country, so the air quality in Delhi is just like really, really terrible. Like it's always code red. Sometimes it's off the charts in terms of the level of pollution in the air. And it's starting to have really wide ranging effects on people and wildlife. And so rather than make a movie that sort of, and this was his his point, was like, well, I didn't want to make a movie that was going to preach to people or like hit them over in the head with a sledgehammer about climate policy. What I wanted to do was make a movie that spoke to people, but he wanted, in his words, he wanted it to be a Trojan horse, meaning it would leave you with an impression without triggering your biases. So you don't like instantly say, oh, well, no, I don't, I'm pro- Development. I'm pro industry, so I'm not going to watch this movie. So he talks about, and the premise of the movie is there's these birds in in Delhi. They're called kites, and they're basically birds of prey. They're scavengers. They're sort of like vultures in that they eat rotting meat, dead carcasses. They feast on things that would otherwise rot, and that's a part of the ecological cycle. So they actually have a spiritual purpose in that when people die, one of the things that you may do is take them to these areas where the birds, take the dead body to the, these areas where the birds sort of congregate and then they'll, they'll eat the dead body and it's sort of like, it's a rebirth, right? They, take, they eat away your problems. They're also in, integral in, the, in like um, waste management because they're always at the landfills, like reducing the size of the landfills by eating you know, whatever food debris there is. So they're a critical part of the ecosystem, and because of the air quality, they're they're falling out of the sky in like record oh, numbers. Yeah. Like they're literally uh, yeah. dropping from the sky. And he was in his car, stuck in traffic in Delhi, and he saw one fall out of the sky, and he Googled, like, what happens to these birds that fall out of the sky? And there's two brothers, and then they have their cousin, and for the past 20 years, they've been rescuing these birds. They're not necessarily oh, trained, but they've been... Nursing them back to health, they started in a basement, like a garage slash basement, and they've just gained more of a following. People will bring them injured birds. They've raised public and private funding, and they've started a hospital. And so now, in the, over the past fifteen years, apparently they've treated like twenty five thousand of these kites. Wow! And the brothers are Muhammad Saad and Adim Shahzad. and their cousin is Salik Rahman. And they're they're in the film. They're not actors but they are sort of in the Muslim minority of India. So there's this whole geopolitical angle too, and that throughout the movie, there's all this protesting, anti-Muslim protest, and it's like a political football issue, but they're here sort of selflessly devoting themselves. This isn't something they do for a living. It's their passion, and they've devoted their life to doing this because they realize how important it is to you know ecology. But it's not a preachy movie at all. It's very beautifully shot, The music is great. It it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. I recommend it.
0: I think I recently just saw, maybe it's because the doc is uh, being marketed, but I, I saw something like I think on my newsfeed about birds falling out of the sky, when you start talking about that, it'll remind me of it. But um, I do love like incredible stories like this, and like yeah, like what a what a lovely, what an interesting story to tell. And I'm really happy to hear that it's getting the recognition it needs because it's like people like that that keep things going. You know, like in the smallest way, like right. It's not preachy. It's not
1: in your face. And the point of the movie is not like wow, humanity's good or humanity's bad. It's like this is a complex thing. We can't sac- act like you know India where well, there is a lot of pollution, but there's also a billion and a half people, right? It's like a lot of people are living there in poverty and, and they are advancing. And how can you tell a country like India, well, you're not allowed to have the technological advancements that the US has had, right? It's like, it's not necessarily normative. Yeah, why we wish everybody, I wish that you know everything could be done in a sort of clean and green way. It's gonna take some time to get there. And his point is not that you know India needs to change everything. It's just saying like, there are consequences. Here are three brothers that are doing what they can and they're heroes in a sense. And they're not doing it for fame and fortune, but they're doing it because it's important to them. And, and we should celebrate that. And maybe if this causes you to buy an EV or to turn off the lights when you're not at home or whatever, if if it changes your behavior in some way, because you think we are having this Irreparable impact on the world And that's good But that's not his focus
0: You sold me on it I'm definitely going to check it out I'm going to check it out this week
1: Yeah, and let's Maybe Maybe we can get Shunak on this podcast That would be cool I talked to him So we were It was Friday night in LA And I was like So you're in Delhi And he's like Conceivably, yes But I've been traveling For the past six months Promoting this movie So like London (laughs) New York, LA Like everywhere Berlin Like all the film festivals So, you know He's pushing it The brothers who star in the film, uh, are also doing the press junket. And I was very impressed at how mature and down-to-earth and eloquent he was. And I look forward to the next project, although I asked him about it, and he was like, I'm just so slammed trying to get this thing off the ground. They don't, they don't have an Indian distribution deal yet. So they have HBO Max in the U.S. HBO Max doesn't have a, uh, a product in India, so they're looking for a streaming partner in India right now. But he just signed with WME and Entertainment 360. So I think he'll probably have a lot good for him. more in store.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna watch the trailer as soon as we get off. I'm excited to watch it.
1: Yeah, you should. It's good. I recommend it.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome that you got to meet him in person. And uh, I'm definitely gonna check it out. Like I said, I'm gonna watch the trailer. Highly recommend everybody else check it out. Paul, what's the name of it again? All That Breathes. All That Breathes on HBO Max. And uh, that's our show for this week, folks. Make sure you tune in next week. Follow us on at Better Call Paul, the podcast, Instagram, at Mesh Likhani on Twitter. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week.
1: Thanks, everyone.